Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Witness this bag that I got is overpriced and you can't get this long. You in your bag now, and you ain't never been a man. You gotta brag now, and you ain't never been the type to finish last now. You made it to the NBA from a class clown. It's crazy how this shit changed. Yeah, yeah, they won't love you if you stay the same. Yeah, yeah, they won't love you if you feel your pain. You got that platform, but it speak your truth. Penetration through these words, fuck they bulletproof. Time to get me. Time to get me. Cause I'm in my bag, oh, and I won't finish last, no, no Cause I'm in my bag, oh, you in your bag now Alrighty guys, we are back with yet another episode of the What's In Your Bag podcast with Andrew Robinson And uh, before I introduce today's guest, man, I want to always remind you guys to like this podcast Subscribe to this podcast if you're watching it on YouTube Give us a five-star rating if you're listening on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It definitely goes a long way to getting this podcast out to the people who need to hear it. Um, we've got a wonderful, wonderful interview today, man. And uh, this is this is a guy who, you know, not only is he a fellow, you know, DMV resident like myself, but obviously we both share the last name, you know what I'm saying, Robinson, the Robinson guy, you know what I'm saying? So it's definitely, um, you know, an interview that we've been trying to work out for a while, man, because this guy is uh, obviously all the way in Australia and me being in Japan right now. It's sometimes tough to work out the time differences, but nonetheless, um, I'm super excited to, to, to have my guy on. Um, former All-ACC guard. Uh, he's had he's had his experiences playing all over the world uh, in the NBA as well. Now he's in Australia. So, um, you know, we're, we're joined to be – we're pleased to be joined by none other than Justin Robinson, man. So, Justin, thank you for coming along with us today. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me, bro. I'm excited. No doubt, no doubt, man. And uh, like I said, man, we go way back, obviously, to the, to the days back in the DMV. Um, you know, you're a guy who was, you know, born and raised in the area, played at Montrose Christian, also played at at, at St. James. Uh, so for the viewers, man, just kind of walk us through just your upbringing, you know, just growing up in the DMV, uh, what brought you to Montrose, and then, um, you know, obviously finishing all your career at St. James. Just kind of walk us through the Justin Robinson, you know, before the the Virginia Tech, before the league, you know, before the, the pro Justin Robinson, you know, kind of walk us through that basketball journey growing up. Yeah, no, nah, so I grew up in Manassas, Virginia, like, you know, Northern Virginia. Um, and, like, I mean, I started playing basketball because my family's a basketball fan. My brothers played, my dad played in college, my mom played in high school, she was good. So I just always had that basketball background. So, like, around four, I put a ball in my hands and started going between my legs, and my dad just took it and ran with it. So, I mean, growing up, I was like that uh, – the undersized kid that was very talented and like playing up in age groups and all that. So my dad kind of knew he had something on his hands, but then like, you know, middle school came around sixth grade, which is like, I'm playing varsity with the eighth grader. So that's when it really started stirring. Um, after my eighth grade year, it was kind of like, 
do you stay in public school around Manassas and, you know, like you don't really get exposure or you go have 40 every game and don't really like get what you deserve. And that's kind of when I decided to make the decision to leave in ninth grade to pretty much go to Montrose because they were just, they had just won the national championship, the NHSI. Um, they were talented. They were bringing a lot of guys back. Um, and I was intrigued. I went for a workout. Coach Vetter pretty much was ready to make it happen, but it was kind of, uh, iffy decision because I was about to go to Paula Six as well, or O'Connell. So I was in like the WCAC realm and then I decided to go to Montrose because I was like, I want to play at the best of the best. And I won't lie, they were sponsored by Jordan. So I was like, I want to go there, you know? So <laughs> yeah, I get there ninth grade year. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going back and forth, JV, varsity, like we're stacked. I'm not playing on varsity. So going to get my reps in JV. Uh, and that's when I first had my first college look. It was George Washington that came to my practices like, yo, we can't offer him, but we like him. We're intrigued. So then sophomore year came around, I'm playing. We're like top 10 in the country, going to all the big name tournaments, all that stuff. We're winning, go to Hawaii, playing well, whatever. So then my sophomore year is done and Coach Vetter said he's going to resign and leave Montrose. So I'm like, what am I about to do? And then my associate head coach is like, yo, we're going to St. James School. And we would love for you to come. And I'm like, you know, I want to stay with somebody I'm comfortable with. So St. James wasn't bad. They had some good guys like Obi Nichionia, AJ Carr, Sherman Harris, Fred Slater. So we had something to work with. It was me and Terrence, Mayumba, and Jordan Bartley we went over there. And then the rest was history. Like my junior year, I blew up. Uh, shoot. I mean, I just went from, you know, unranked, no stars to 25. And I just started rolling. Uh, Played well, won a Gatorade Player of the Year in Maryland, was a parade All-American, so that was nice. And then, like, the recognition started coming, so that's where all the, the process came. Yes, sir. So, for the guys who don't know, or uh, I feel like most people obviously in the DMV know, or if you're a basketball fan, you know about Montrose Christian. Obviously, you know, the Kevin Durant uh, went there. Obviously, Justin Anderson was there when you were there. I think Ishmael Wainwright was there as well. Talk about some of those guys that were just around that program around that time, because – Obviously, Montrose has a crazy history, man, of, of a bunch of legends that have come through that program. So um, talk about just what it was like playing there while you were there and then uh, just, I guess, what it meant to kind of uh, play on the coach better as well for those two years. Yeah, no, it was crazy. I get there. Um, like I said, the team was stacked. So I'm around Justin Anderson, Michael Carrera, uh, Ishmael, uh, Kevin Zabo, you know, the likes of guys like that. So I'm like, yo, this is crazy. Like, we got a college team right here in high school. So you know, like to get to get that get that bump early, uh, try to get thrown in the fire uh, when I'm practicing with the guys was big for me. But I mean, like I was the youngin', so they all took me under their wing. Um, Justin was a little hard on me, tried to get me tough, you know. And then every weekend we would go to my house in Manassas. Uh, Ish would come with me every weekend. Kevin Zabo would come with me. So like, we just became close, right? So my freshman year that was the case, and then my sophomore year, me and Ish became like brothers. So. Um, Going to all that, like being around those guys, like fast forward, he signs with the Raptors, we're in Vegas, yep. and I'm at a different hotel down the strip. So he calls and like, I'm signing today. And I'm like, yo, I want to be there. So he holds up the the signing so I can get there and I'm with them to support him. I'm like, it just shows who we are. Like he calls my mom, mom, I call his mom, mom. And just like those connections, I'm still close with Justin, still close with uh, a lot of the other guys. So, I mean, just that dope experience to, Play in a setting like that and then play under a legendary coach and Coach Vetter was dope. 
No, that's that's fire, man. And what does it be like just seeing Ishmael be able to get the opportunities that he may be able to get now? Obviously, he's with the Suns, trying to carve out a role and stuff like that, man. Uh, what has that been like just being able to see somebody who, you know, you can literally grow up with, be able to kind of make that uh, transition from overseas to the league now? Yeah, it's it's crazy. His story's crazy because uh, he went to Baylor, played basketball, and then spent a year playing football his last year. And then – He's like, uh, he went to go try out, I want to say for the Chiefs or something like that, Texans Chiefs. And he's just like, yo, this isn't for me. So then he tried to get back in basketball shape, went overseas, played well. Um, then went to another team, played even better. And then the Raptors called him, was like, yo, we're going to put you on a deal. And he's like, yo. And like just to see how fast it changed for him was like, obviously he deserved it. He was top 25 in high school. He was that guy. He just might have went to the wrong system in Baylor. So for it to come full circle and see him living out his dream and like being there with them and things like that was dope. Facts, facts. Now you mentioned, you know, how picking the college can kind of make or break your kind of pro career as far as, you know, Ishmael going to rain, Ishmael going to Baylor, kind of up in the air as far as, you know, what that choice was like for him. But for you, you obviously you you chose to go to Virginia Tech, you know, had a great four-year career there. Um, what went through just that decision? Uh, commend to Virginia Tech and kind of, you know, why you decided to, to, you know, call the Hokies your home for, for four years in college. Yeah, no, nah, it was hard, bro. Uh, I wanted to go to Maryland really bad. Like, I, I did want to go to Maryland. Uh, and then it was just like, everybody expected me to go there because I won player of the year in Maryland. It was only 45 minutes away from my house compared to four hours at Tech. Yep. And I really like Providence too. But uh, yeah, I mean, every coach was coming to me like, you know, you're going to come here. We're going to give you the ball, blah, 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 right away. Buzz came into me my first meeting. He was like, yo, you're not good. You're going to have to come work for your come work for your minutes. And I'm looking like before I got there, there were two and 16 in conference. So I'm like, well, <laughs> all right, like I got you. But he been like coaching me up before he was even my coach. So then he pretty much told my mom, like, there's no background data that you can go look at for what I'm trying to do, but you just have to trust my word. And like the relationship you built with my parents, it, it couldn't beat it. So um, I decided to go there because obviously it's still a Virginia school. Um, and I wanted to make a name for myself. I wanted to start something up rather than it already being built. So to be able to go there and like make that drastic change, we had the biggest turnaround my freshman year in ACC history. So it was like, I obviously I made the right decision. Like I went there, he let me play through mistakes, and then it all played out the way it was supposed to. Yeah. All right. So I got to ask two questions, kind of based on your answer just now. The number one is, how do you process when the coach is talking about, yeah, you're not good. Like I don't know if you're gonna play. Like this and that. And how do you turn that to, hmm, like hearing that from the first encounter to, oh right, yeah, I'm gonna go play for this dude. Like you know what I'm saying? Because most dudes like, all right, like forget you, I'm going to go somewhere else. Not like you had a shortage of options. So, like, how did you navigate towards what he – because it's crazy because I had a college teammate uh, at Quinnipiac, long story short. He was number one rebounder in the country. His name is Kevin Marfo. And uh, he graduated for the Texas A&M, uh, obviously, where, where Buzz was at. He was talking about a little bit just about Buzz, his recruiting pitch, how he was kind of brutally honest just as far as, like, you know, his yeah. approach. But um, for you, like, I just want to get your insight as far as how you – in your mind was like, yeah, I like that. I'm, I'm going to go play for him or whatever the case may be. Because, like, I always like to work for my stuff, bro. Like, I've always been, uh, you know, overlooked. That's why I got to show on underrated, you know what I mean? And it's just like, that's just what I've always lived by. So, like, when he told me I had to work for it, it just became intriguing. Like, not other coaches were saying I had to work for it, but his approach was like, 
uh, you guys are losing. It hasn't been good at Tech. And you're telling me I got to work for something. And just like how he came off was great to me. And then obviously I committed there and we're, my senior year, we're playing uh, Antonio Blakeney in, uh, at DeMatha. And uh, I'm killing, killing. I go to the hole, get fouled, the ref don't call it. And he is just, he's in the stands and he's chewing the ref out. And I'm like, look, I'm like, yo, I'm not even there at school yet. And like, he's coach, like coaching me like that, like champ, come on, bro. That's tough. Then after the game, we had lost. I had a turnover late in the game. So after the game, you know, I'm pissed. He come up to me. He like, uh, we'll be honest, like, y'all lost that game because of you. But like, that's not what I'm trying to hear, bro. I'm like, yo, get out of my face. I was like, come on. <laughs> like, that was, that's just him. He's, he's honest. So, like, I knew then I was like, yo, I made the right decision. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just the relationship that he has with his guys when they're there and even before they get there, like, he never switches up when you get there compared to what he recruited you. That's real. That's real. And that's super important, man, for guys uh, who are, whether it's in college or whether you're trying to decide where you're going to play overseas, man, all that kind of stuff is important. And for coaches going to be honest with you, you know what I'm saying? I think even to this day, man, you got an agent that's bringing you opportunities and deals, you're talking to coaches and they're selling you your dreams. Like it's kind of tough to kind of navigate that. So I feel like, you know, that's definitely credit the buzz, you know, for being respectful. But the second question that I wanted to ask based on your response about your kind of college uh, choice was like, Obviously, you said you wanted to go to Maryland. Like, you're a local guy, played at Montrose, Gatorade Player of the Year in Maryland, right? And uh, last year, Hunter Dickinson pretty much broke the internet because he was talking about how Maryland didn't, quote-unquote, recruit him or they didn't really recruit him hard enough or in the way that he, I guess, wanted to be recruited compared to a lot of the other schools. And you have guys, obviously, like himself, he's at Michigan, uh, Luke Garza, who was National Player of the Year, went to Iowa. And there's a bunch of guys, as you know, from our area, who don't go to Maryland and don't go to Georgetown. And people always are on Twitter asking why, why, why? So for you as a guy who wanted to go to Maryland, like what was the deal with that? Can you speak on just like, you know, what happened or didn't happen that didn't allow that to come to fruition? Uh, During the recruitment process, after my visit, they just rubbed my mom the complete wrong way. Like uh, they made a comment that she did not like. Um, and it just didn't sit well with me. Like, I mean, she, I could see it on her face. She was asking me where I wanted to go. And when I said Maryland at first, it was just kind of like, I don't think that's good for you pretty much. And then she broke down. I'm not going to put them on front street, what they said and things like that. But it was an eye opener to me. And then, yeah, I can't, I, I mean, I guess they, they went around about the recruitment process completely wrong. Cause obviously they were in my top five. I took an official there, um, I loved it. Like I wanted to go there, you know what I mean? Cause I like, I wouldn't say I was the man in Maryland at that time, but like I got connections in Maryland then, and then 45 minutes from my house in Virginia, like I can just mix the two together. Right. And then, yeah. I mean, they messed it up. I ain't gonna lie. They messed it up. Man, this is going to hurt a bunch of uh Terps fans, man. But it's crazy though, because it's not even just about you, but like I said, there's a bunch of guys with people looking at Markel Fultz, number one picking the draft is at Washington. It's like, yo, how is it that we can't get, you know, talent? And then you got Georgetown 0-20 in the Big East last year. And it's like, bro, like, where, where's everybody at? You know what I'm saying? It doesn't make sense. And it's just like, I feel like even me, I mean, shoot, like, we all, just being from this area, you want to see the local teams do well. And it's like, but it's crazy how the local talent just doesn't really seem to to stay home, you know? And that's I think that's kind of an interesting fact, man. But um, she's... You know, kind of move on a little bit. You know, you guys were, like you mentioned, man, you guys had the, the greatest turnaround, you know, in, in your freshman year at Virginia Tech. 
And, you know, your senior year, you guys end up going to the Sweet 16 and, uh, you know, facing up uh, against Zion, R.J. Bear, and, and those guys at Duke. And what was an absolutely crazy game, you know, came down to the last possession. Talk about that game, man, because as a basketball fan watching that game, it was absolutely insane, man, especially with the hype around Duke. No more overall seeing the tournament. You guys had beat them earlier in the season as well. So just talk yeah. about just that that game, you know, I guess the emotions looking back on it now, you know, a couple of years later, um, just talk me through that whole experience. Yeah, bro. Like, I mean, the, the, my sophomore and my junior year, we went to tournament and got bumped out the first round. We ran into Wisconsin. It was a terrible matchup for us. My, my sophomore year. Then my junior year, we go against Alabama with Colin Sexton. John Petty shoots the lights out. We should have won that game. We got cheated at the end by the refs. Then my senior year come around, and I know we're going to be good. We're like, we're rolling. I get injured. I miss 12 games. And then I rush back to go to the tournament. So we start, we beat uh, St. Louis, revenge game. They beat us the year before MSG. Blow them out. And then Liberty upset Mississippi State. So we had just played Liberty in an exhibition game at the beginning of the year. Yep. So we know what they can do. And they come out hot. We're like, dang. Going to halftime, come out, win that game. So we like. Oh, we going, we going out of Cali. We going to DC. Oh man, we good. Like we good, and we play Duke. We are good. Like, you know, I mean? we are we are good. So we go to the game, and obviously Trey Jones is cold. They just barely beat UCF before us. Yeah, Trey Jones shoot like one of sevens, one of something like that. So our scout report the way we play, yo, let Trey shoot. He get hot, bro. And we like, yo, what? So, you know, we're going back and forth, trading jazz, boom, boom, boom. Interesting game. They go up like uh, seven, probably with like four minutes left. And I'm like, bro, no, like this, this not it, bro. This not it. So we go back on a run. Dang, we, we're down, uh, we're down two. We uh, Trey Jones missing one-on-one, we're down two. Coach called timeout. He and the huddle drawing up something for two. And all the teams look at you like, Nah, like, we, we want to go for the win. And this is Buzz being Buzz. He's like, all right, so what do we want to run? Like, yo, just come slide, tie out. His man's going to try to help off me. Ty going to have a shot. Whatever. He draw it up, let us run it. Cool. Tie air ball, we get another possession. Bro, we draw up the perfect play, obviously, the little lob play. And yeah. then my boy miss it. And, bro, it was just so surreal at the moment because it's like, we weren't even like to the point we just wanted to keep winning. We just wanted to keep playing with each other. And a win meant we was gonna keep playing. So we lose that game. And like looking back on it, it's kind of like we win that game. We're gonna go beat Michigan State. And then we're gonna play Texas Tech in the final four, which is like us. So that's an up in the air game. And then, I mean, that case, you go play UVA. We 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 beat UVA every year. We split every year. And we're like, yo, we like ah, look at it. I'm like, Dang, that was a missed one. But that team was great, bro. Like, people really underestimate the team that we had. That would have been a crazy – bro, imagine UVA versus VTech for the national championship game. <laughs> that would have been crazy. When we lost to Duke, I literally told everybody – I even I, I told everybody, I said, UVA going to win it now. Because nobody can beat – like, UVA had some some game winners in there that was a little, you know, uh, it yeah. shouldn't be in it no more. But after we lost, bro, I'm like, UVA going to win it. And that's what happened. I got kids. You can ask my teammates on the way back on the plane. We, I'm like, yo, UVA gonna win it. And like, why you say? I'm like, they just not gonna lose. Like, nobody else has a game plan like Buzz does for them to win. 
Jeez, yeah, bro. That came to fruition, man. That's crazy. That's crazy, man. So kind of putting the ball, you know, on a college career, obviously, you know, you leave Virginia Tech and uh, you go undrafted in the NBA draft, but, you know, you're able to sign a, a deal with the Wizards um, as a non-drafted free agent. Um, I can remember, man, like I, when I seen that news on Twitter at the draft, I'm like, yo, that's crazy. You grew up in the DMV. Um, I read something that said, you know, your family has seen tickets to the Wizards growing up and then you're able to sign a deal with the Wizards, you know, coming out of college. So like, what was that moment like for you, man? Like being able to stay home and kind of get your first professional experience with the Wizards? Yeah, bro, it was so crazy. So during my pre-draft in DC, the workout was kind of catered around me. Um, and I could just feel the love. Like, you know, like, you know, you're going to college visit, you're on official visit, everybody's showing you love. That's how it was in DC. So I'm like, okay, I'm going through the process. Um, and like a lot of people don't know about the draft. Like, some teams can call you and be like, hey, we want to draft you at this number, but we're gonna put you on two-way. Yep. And you can say no. Yeah. Or if they don't call you, they got to put you on a standard contract, whatever. So probably at like pick 41 teams was calling. And my agent just like, ah, oh, we're not accepting two ways. And I'm like, what you mean? We're not accepting two ways. So the Wizards trade up to 42. And I'm like, okay, this is the time. Right. They call me at pick 40 like, hey, we're not going to take you at 42. We're going to take Schofield. But if you go undrafted, we'll give you a three-year deal. And then they call me back after four. It's like, oh, we'll try to get back at like 56 just so you can hear your name. I'm like, I don't need to hear my name called. So, bro, pick 43. I turned the TV off. I'm like, I know where I'm going. Like, they told me they're going to give me a three-year deal. Like, why would I not take that? And I'm at the crib. So then it, it just all come back. Like, I grew up with season tickets. I'm watching Gilbert hit turnaround, game winners. And then, just like you said in the Sweet 16, we had just lost – in the building that the Wizards play in. So then my first professional game was where I lost my last college game. So it just, it was crazy, bro. And then like, think about it. My parents could come up to all the games. My parents could visit me in my apartment. I could go home whenever I felt like it. Um, just that feeling was dope. Like being that hometown kid my whole life and it all just coming back full circle like that was crazy. Like obviously you dream about being in the NBA, but like once you actually live it, it's like, Thing I reached my dream at what 21 years old. I just turned 21. Like, wow. Crazy, crazy. And uh obviously from there, man, you you had a couple of stops around the league, you know, OKC, Detroit, Milwaukee, uh Sacramento. Just talk about overall like that experience, man, of kind of your first kind of few years in the league, like you're bouncing around trying to get your footing. What was that whole process like, man? Just trying to establish yourself, you know, trying to find a home in the league, you know, for those first couple of years. Yeah, I mean, once you come out of college, you're the guy. Then you get back, to, you get to the NBA, and you're like right back to the bottom of the barrel. So it's kind of hard to like process in your brain. You got to just be a great teammate, play hard, pick up 94 feet as an undersized guard. And then like uh, my first year, I really I didn't get an opportunity. So like, I mean, I was upset it was my first time getting cut. But once I look back on it, it was kind of like I wish I had more of an opportunity in DC. Yeah. And then uh, my second year when I was at OKC. Like, yeah, and they were tanking, you know what I mean? So, like, you know, first game played really well against Detroit. Um, that happened. The whole season went by. Then I go to Milwaukee. They had just won the championship. And Drew gets hurt. So that was my first real test. So, like, there was a four-game stretch. I was averaging, like, 11-4 and four on 50-45, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm getting a groove. I'm learning. It's my first actual experience. Like, just everything in life. You can only learn through experience, like when you're out there getting thrown in the fire. 
So then I start building a relationship with other guys. Me and Giannis get real close. Every practice, we're going over film, breaking down stuff like, yo, I, I trust you. I want the ball in your hands. So I start playing well, start playing a lot. And then you know how it is. Like you, I hit a wall, like my first professional adversity wall. And I did, like it messed up my mental, couldn't hit a shot. Literally felt like every time I went in the games, my hand was freezing cold. And I swear, every first possession, it was a one more from Giannis. And just in my brain, I'm like, yo, I got to make this. Clank, just overthinking. So, like, my last eight games, I probably went, like, six to 23, right? I'm just all in my head. So I do go back. I'm thankful for it. It helped me learn because I'm like, that's my first opportunity and my first real adversity in the NBA. Um, but, yeah, man, I mean, uh, just going through that, like, having the – the, what can I say, the trust of an organization like that, just one championship, trust of one of the greatest players in the world. Um, it helped me realize that I belonged in the league. You know what I mean? So then that happens. I uh, get cut from Milwaukee. Um, I go to Sacramento on a COVID-10 day. Don't want to talk about that. <laughs> then I go to Detroit. And every like if you look at all my stats, every game I played Detroit, I played well. So Coach Casey, I get there. He like, don't think I don't remember what you do to us. I'm like, okay. So I get there. I start playing 20 minutes a game, averaging six and three, like I'm doing good. And it all come full circle that time. We go play in Milwaukee. You know, Detroit probably only won seven games at that time. We went, we went against the Spurs, and then we go to Milwaukee. I play 27 minutes against a team that just released me, and we win. Game we're not supposed to win. So, you know, I'm talking to the bench a little bit, hitting threes, looking at the bench. And it was just like full circle because, like, you know how NBA fans are. Like, you go through a cold spurt and they're going to be on you on Twitter. They're going to be talking crazy. Like, he don't deserve to be in the NBA. That's everywhere now. The social media, they get too many, like, too many people power of voice and they don't really got a power of voice. But they talk behind a computer screen. So, like, a point of my time in Milwaukee, too, when I was cold, I was too busy caught up in what other people were saying. Mm. So to go back to Milwaukee, we win. I'm just like happy inside. The coach talk at the game. He like, I'm just happy for Justin. We come back, beat his old team. So I'm like, okay, everybody understands. That was just it, bro. I mean, then after that, went to Utah Summer League this past summer. Played well. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the NBA was stalling a little bit with the KD stuff, Miles Bridges. So it's kind of like at that point in my life, like I kind of had to make a decision on do I stick around and then get – you know, get pushed to the side and then got to go back to G League or do you make a, a money decision a little bit to try to, like, you know, make sure you're okay as well? Yeah, yeah. So we're definitely going to get to that, um, that whole thought process and decision in, in a little bit. But, you know, while we're here, I think I want to kind of just uh, unpack this a little bit because I think you said a bunch of important things um, in your last response. And um, on the last episode of, of What's In Your Bag, we kind of started this this new segment. And uh, it's kind of play on the, on the word with the name What's In Your Bag, but – uh, it's, it's, you know, I let you take me out my bag. And, you know, what we mean by that is kind of like, that could be a, a person that could be a situation. But when you talk about getting out of your bag, it's like something that kind of tested you mentally, something that was kind of a hard situation that made maybe you acted uncharacteristically or just was a, a hard period for somebody to get through, whether it's an injury or anything like that. And I think you speak, you, you, you spoke on just now, just a, a bunch of just adversity that you faced, whether it was in Milwaukee or having to deal with getting cut and stuff like that. But my question to you is, I think when you were going through that, because I think a lot of people don't really understand the mental aspect like that goes into playing basketball, man, when you're, when you're going through 
just that wall that you were speaking of as a pro. Thinking back on that time, just from a, a mental standpoint, like, did you ever feel like, you know, um, did you ever, I guess, question yourself? Or how did you kind of get through that time period? Because you mentioned kind of, you know, giving into like what people were saying on social media and the outside noise and things like that. You know, but at the end of the day, you were able to kind of bounce back and have a, a stretch with Detroit where you were playing well, had a game against Milwaukee where it kind of all clicked. So just thinking back on that time mentally, man, like what were you telling yourself? Uh, was there anything maybe that any teammates were kind of helping you kind of get through that time period? Just, you know, what was that whole time period like for you just from a, a mental standpoint? Yeah, I think the main thing, like my my rookie year when I got cut from the Wizards, um, I was hurt, bro, because it was my first time being cut ever in my life. Right. And it was kind of like, I didn't feel like I had an opportunity. Like, you put me in the G League, my last three games in G League, I was averaging 19, 7, 6. Like, what else can I do, you know what I mean? So I learned that part. Like, I, I was, like, stuck for, like, two days, bro. I'm still in the apartment. Like, I'm not moving. My parents know I messed up, so they just calling me, whatever. But, you know, like a uh, African-American male, young guy, you, you think, like, you can take on the world. And, like, that's common. Everybody thinks it's common or everybody thinks it's soft to say not you need help. But, like, bro, mental health is a serious thing. So, like, not even the fact that I learned it then. I think I learned it more so after my time in Milwaukee to, like, reset my mental, start meditating. When I was in Milwaukee, I was seeing our sports psychologist. And then when I went on my cold streak, he was – on vacation and I and I made the mistake of thinking I could get through it by myself instead of just reaching out it's a phone call away like you're a pro you can get through it but right. like when I was seeing him I was playing really well and then I think the main thing is like to tell athletes in general to like make sure your mental health is the first priority in your career you know what I mean because you never really it's like succeed the way you want to succeed unless your mental's right. So I think now, like even to this day, um, you know, like uh, every day, daily devotionals, pray every day, meditate. Um, and like, I haven't seen a therapist, but like, you know, if, if I got to that point, I would ve like very much so be open to it now more than two years ago. Like I've grown, like obviously, but it does show you like, cause at a point in time, when I was like getting moved around, it wasn't like making me question my love for the game, but it's kind of like, damn, the NBA is really like this. This is really a business first, besides like the best players don't play, you know? Hey. So that's really when I learned, like it's really about timing and opportunity. It's really not, all, there's some people overseas that I'd never even thought about that could play in the NBA, but it's just, they weren't at the right timing of the time that they needed, opportunity wasn't there, so. That's really when I realized it, because I'm like, yeah, bro, like, don't get me wrong, I'm playing well. And then I go on a cold streak, but every, the best players in the world go on cold streak. So, like, just don't make my leash a little different to his because he making, you know, five million a year and I'm making this, you know what I mean? Right. And that was really when I learned, like, just to take care of my mental health more than anything else. For sure, man. And I think, you know, you said something that's super important, man, just about the, the timing aspect of the league. And I feel like, obviously, you know, as a guy who's been cut, as a guy who's, you know, played in the league and played well, I feel like you can understand just the the politics of the thing, of, of, of the league and the business aspect of it. You know what I'm saying? And you mentioned just now kind of like, not that it made you question your love for the game, but it doesn't make you think like, damn, like it's the same game that I fell in love with when I was a kid. You know what I'm saying? It's not just about getting buckets and playing well. It's a lot more that kind of goes on behind the scenes. You know, so now that you've kind of experienced that, 
you know, how do you how do you view the NBA now? Like, would you would you give another try again? Do you think it's kind of because we I talked to a bunch of guys on here, man. I talked to Eric Green, obviously who's another Virginia Tech guy, local guy, um, DMV legend. Talked to Stan Kidd, um, yeah, yeah that big basket, <laughs> big basket. <laughs> um, we talked to him about it because he's he's obviously had a couple of teams in the league. Stan Kidd is another guy who's a local guy from Baltimore. Um, had his time with the Jazz. And I always ask guys, like, would you give the NBA a shot again, you know, based on what you've experienced, given that kind of um, just the business side of it, man. So for you, kind of where are you at with the league now? Like, you know, how do you how you kind of view it as far as, you know, knowing the politics of it that go into it? It's something that, that you would try again. You Are you, you know, just like, you know, I'm trying to make, make some money and play overseas. Like, you know, where are you at with it now? Yeah, I, uh, like I was in the league three years in a row out of college. So they're like, there was no mistake behind that. So in my mind, obviously the goal was where I'm at now, come play quick, go back. And that was what every NBA team was saying while I was going through the process. Cause it's like, at this moment, we don't have open spots. Like the league was so packed in terms of, you seen how many free agents there were and still free agents right. that are great players, great vets, great established people that are just not on the roster because they don't have the open spot. So in my mind, I'm like, all right, you know, do what you got to do to get back. But then even in that sense, it's like once you get back after a short season, at that time, people don't understand, like, the non-guarantee contracts have weeded out. That's when roster starts. Like, roster starts start opening. Then with the G League aspect, you can only get caught up before All-Star break if you get put on a standard contract early on. Like, you can't just go on a 10-day, you know what I mean? Like, you can't you can get caught up on a yeah, two-way or a standard. But 10 days only start after the All-Star break. So wow. it's hard. Like, that's why after the All-Star break, after the non-guarantee guys fade out and they don't, if they don't get their contracts guaranteed, then that's when everything kind of swirl around. Mm. And then, you know, come the trade deadline, still so many moves to be made, and then roster spots might open up again. But it's all a chess game at that point. So, I mean – to still be on the front of NBA minds, like over the summer and summer league, I average 11 and five, 11 and four, shooting 40% from three. So it's like on limited minutes too. Like when we play, I played in the Salt Lake City uh, summer league, was leading the team in scoring and second in assists. And then I played three games and three nights. My third game went cold, one and 10. Cool. We get to Vegas. I had to sit out. I'm like, all right, cool. I get it. Okay. Second game, play well. Third game, sit out. I'm like, okay, what's going on? They're like, we're not playing like you. Okay, I'm like, cool. Fourth game, boom, play. Fifth game, play again, play well. So, like, teams are calling, teams are doing that, agents working. And it was just so, like, you know, timing and opportunity, like I said. Yeah. So, that's what it came down to. Yeah. I'm like, don't get me wrong. We, we brought the, the question about what I go, like, am I, I'm not playing basketball for money. Like, at some point in my life, I will maybe have to go down that route. But what I've made in the NBA is very nice. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that. Like, people don't understand the contracts behind what's actually going on, 10-day contracts, things like that. And it's like, once it starts adding up, you still get the licenses agreement. You still get the all that stuff. So it starts coming back to you, and people don't really understand that. But it's like, bro, only 5,000 people ever have played in the NBA. And, like, obviously, you go in there and, like, the whole idea of, like, you know, moving around, that's what we're saying right now about my career. It's like, obviously, you want to go in and be like, oh, man, I averaged 10 and 8, 10 and 6. That's that's not always realistic. 
But it's like, bro, my career average. Okay, I averaged three points and 1.5 assists so far in my career. And people are like, yo, you only average three points, bro. It's like, okay, like you go make it to the NBA and then tell me what you're going to do. And let me know when you make it to the NBA. And then it's like, kind of you got to take a step back. Like, bro, I'm one of 5,000 ever. You know what I mean? And that's just crazy yeah. to think about. Straight up. So hold on, man. I promise. Yeah. I feel like I feel like you know we're, we're going to move on in a second. But I feel like uh, even me listening, I'm I'm learning a lot just from what you're saying. And so can you speak on a little bit what you were referring to when you were talking about the the ten day contracts and like how that can kind of help you financially as well? Because I feel like I've heard a little bit about it, especially last year during the COVID stuff when everybody was signing the hardship waivers. Just like yo, and then it's also prorated. Like if you've been in the league for six years and you sign a 10 day is different than somebody if you've been in the league for just your first opportunity, you know what I'm saying? So can you talk about just a little bit of the financial aspect of just, and you don't got to go into your personal pockets, but more so just like um, about like the, the non-guaranteed deals and the 10 days and kind of how that, how you can still come up with some money by signing those. Yeah. So back to anything in general, when I signed in DC, my rookie year, you know, if you, my rookie year, they were doing like games for two-way contracts. So you play a game, you get paid for that game. You get 45 days, you get 40, whatever. Right. 250, I think it was. And the Wizards already guaranteed me more than that. Just, you know, I come there. Even if I pooped a bed and play bad training camp, they release me. All right, I'm still making this. Right. So then you get, you know, whatever. And then like 10 days, your first year, you're obviously lower. If you get a 10-day, than someone in their second year. So mine is higher than rookie year right and like don't get me wrong my my rookie year i made what i made and then okay see i'm got my second year experience so i get two 10 days boom so then once again it goes up i play in milwaukee on the two-way get cut and then i get two more 10 days for my third year and then boom like just like that the money is still going up but then even though i got three years of experience now um it's kind of to a point of now my my standard contract, my minimum is not the same as it was my rookie year. So right. it really it really plays a part in it, but I guess so much more to the NBA than people understand. Like that's the crazy thing about it. Like uh you can ask anybody from the DMV that's been through the NBA ups and downs, they'll tell you more about it. Uh but yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a lot, it's a lot behind it. For sure, for sure, man. So I guess my next question for you is obviously you 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 told a story about you know playing this this summer in Utah in summer league, um, and you make the transition to Australia. Well, now you're playing in the NBA with Illawarra Hawks. Uh, most people know about that team because that's the team that Lamelo Ball played for before he made his jump to the NBA. But it's a bunch of dudes, not only just in Illawarra but in the NBA as a whole, with Sydney Kings and Melbourne and a bunch of talent out there, you know. But for you, uh, what was that decision like for you as far as this summer, right? You're like, all right, man, am I going to try the league again, you know, go that route? Um, or am I going to go overseas, right? Like, talk me through, you know, what was going through your mind as far as what made you want to make that jump to Australia and go overseas for the first time in your career? Yeah, so um, obviously they, they come calling. I'm Like, at the beginning, we're still talking, waiting on some teams' responses. So I'm just waiting it out. And then um, – it was to a fact of like, it's a four month season. They play 28 games. The league expanded. They got people coming from the league every year to the NBA that's getting drafted, lottery picks. Yep. Uh, you know, you got your Josh Giddy, the dang guy that just got drafted by Thunder. Then you got uh, Tate from the Rockets who came from here and then made his way back. Um, 
And then you had Delhi come over here last year and then go back. And then you got my guy, Jack White, you got Jock Landale. You, you know, it's a slew of people and like the league is growing. So then um, you see other guys that have had NBA stints too coming here. So in my mind, I'm like, don't get me wrong. I feel like a lot of NBA scouts want to come to the NBL rather than go to the G League anyway, because it's good basketball. It's growing. Um, and there's some next stars that they're looking at. There's people in the league that they're going to try to come back. So that was pretty much in my mind. It, like money kind of tied into it a little bit too. Like it was a little bit of a business decision, but also like you go play in a great league for four months, come back and that's right at all-star break. Um, just like I was telling you, right after all-star break is when 10 days and the contract stuff start happening. So you go play well, your name out there, and then you go get a 10 day or a contract based off what you do. And that was really the decision-making process for me. Yeah. And then it was, like, all right, I'm going against other talented guards that I've played against in the NBA, things like that. So it's not like I'm just going to some rinky-dink league to chase the money because I never did that, you know? Right, right. No, then, like I said, you could be in a lot of worse places than, than, than Australia, especially where I live. I live on the beach, so it's like nice weather, nice vibe, the people out there are loving. And then you get to experience something, you know what I mean? Like, like, I was just more nervous about the long flight. That's all I worried about. Everything else is going to take care of itself. No, facts. I think that's huge, man, because I think uh, as a guy who's coming from the league um, and coming from America, being in the States his whole life, it's important that your first experience overseas isn't like, you know, in somewhere crazy. We had we had Quinn Cook on for the first episode, and uh, we touched on his experience because his first experience, he went to Russia. Um, he was playing for mm-hmm. Locomotive. Uh, so, like, and he, I think he lasted for, I think, maybe, like, a couple of weeks, and then he ended up going home. Just, like, because for people who don't know, playing in Europe is definitely not, like, it's not what people think it is. Like, it's, it's a completely different game, you know, coming from the NBA and American style. Um, and not only that, but you're in Russia. So, it's, like, that's already a, a country that's drastically different from, from America. And, you know, if you don't understand that, then you might got to do some research <laughs> for the listeners out there. But, you know, for you, obviously, being able to go to Australia – um, I've never played in Australia, but I've heard from a lot of people that it's very similar to the uh, NBA as far as the style of play. You got the the huge arenas, the media out there is like super high level and stuff like that. Um, and then, like you mentioned, you're in a, a great place as far as location wise, um, kind of off the court, you know, not from a basketball perspective, just how how was that adjustment period, you know, for you getting to Australia um, and just adapting to to life over there when you first got there? Yeah, obviously, um, it's a little different. Like, the time change, you try to, like, get on cue with your, your your schedule back home, with your people back home, jet lag a little bit. But it's not like I'm going to, like, a foreign country, you know what I mean? So I get here, everybody speaks English. They just have a little accent behind it. Right. They're loving. Like, you know, there's no hate out here. They want the next person to win, whereas back home, some people go hate on the person that's in front of them. Right. So that was a big thing. And, I like, I kind of, when I first got here, I'm just thinking it's kind of like, you know, kind of fake, fake a little bit. But it's been like that since I've been here. So I'm like, couldn't be faking. Just like my teammates welcomed me. Uh, the imports that were here already welcomed me, like made the transition easy. Um, it was different learning how to drive on the other side of the road, the <laughs> steering and stuff too. But, but I really can't, I can't complain about the transition. Like it's a, a dope spot. It reminds me of like Hawaii, um, here where I'm staying at, an hour away from Sydney, um, which is a bigger city. Just like the vibes are dope. I mean, then you think about it, you got fever break. Fever break, I went to Fiji, a three-hour flight, just to reset my mental. And I'm like, you can't beat that. That's fire. 
That's fine. Yeah. So, so I, sure, I got to make it over feet too. I'm over here in Japan. We're we're on that same side of the world as you, but you know, not necessarily as close. But I definitely got some destinations: Bali and a couple other places over here that I want to check out for sure. For sure. Um. So obviously on the court this year, man. Obviously, you know, first game of the season, you you end up getting hurt and and you tear your meniscus. Um. And they announced uh, that you're out for the season. So. You know, obviously, what has that been like, man, just trying to deal with that? Because I know for you, it's probably, as any basketball player, it's definitely less than ideal, you know, going through an injury. But, you know, obviously for you, your first experience overseas having to deal with the meniscus injury, like, you know, what's that process been like for you so far? Yeah, no, it was crazy, bro. Um, third quarter of the first game, I go up for a jump shot after hitting the ground. I'm like, my knee just locked out. So I'm like, all right, take myself out. I'll never do that. So went to locker room. They like tape me up, do the ACL test, cool, everything cool. So I go play the rest of the game. Cool. Wake up next morning. You know, we got off, so I'm not doing nothing. Next day, they got we got walkthrough. I don't go through walkthrough, but after I work out, feel good, cool. Next day we got practice. I'm going through the warm-ups. I make one cut and it feel like it did in the game. I'm like, I let me coach, I gotta sit out. Go to the doctor, get an MRI. You know, I'm thinking it's a bone bruise, whatever. And they come back, tell me that. Bro, I'm hurt, bro. Because it's like, obviously, the goal was come here, play well, and just be present. But obviously, the main goal is get back to where I just came from. Right. It's like I kind of I was derailed. But then I take a step back, and I'm like, uh, like I said, it could be in a worse place. Um, could have been a way, west, a way worse injury. Could have been 15-month rehab rather than three. Then it was to a point of, like, the short season did come back on me because they only played four months. So. It gave me a time to three months. I know my body, I could be back in two, but it's like if I go out there too soon and I get hurt, then it's you know, that don't even make sense. So then my agent's just like I, I could never repay myself. Like I can never live with myself if you went out there too early and got hurt under my like supervision, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm like, I respect that. And then it's kind of like to see the big picture, like there's way more left in my life in basketball, uh, God willing, you know what I mean? And they're like you go do something wrong with it, you can take some years off your career. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like, obviously, I want to hoop. It sucks not being able to hoop. Suck watching my team lose and just not being able to practice. But, like, still standing around the guys, being that leader I always am, uh, just kind of helped me realize how much I've impacted the people in Australia and my team without even bouncing the basketball already. Like, the fan love, my teammates, my coaching staff, the organization. It's been cool, but obviously, like, my first professional injury is scary. My knee, how I play, shifty, fast pace. I just got scared at the beginning. But now, like, way ahead of schedule, six weeks today, out the brace, box jumping, jump shots, all that. Like, I'm cool. Like, I'm obviously not doing lateral stuff, but the rehab's going good. So, obviously, uh, I'm grateful, you know what I mean? Could be way worse, like I said. That's great, man. And I think um, something that's important to, to touch on, because, again, I think um, – you know, having two professional athletes on the, on the podcast is definitely a dope angle because I know I, I said this a couple times on this podcast, man, but, like, in some places, not even just in Europe, but just in the world, where, like, a dude gets hurt and a team is, like, misdiagnosing you or they're like, all right, well, it's a three-month rehab, but we're going to try to get you back in two months because we know we got this cup or the playoffs to try to rush you back. And uh, or they might try to slim you on the pay, like, in your contract, all type of crazy Janky promotions goes on overseas basketball. So, like, for you, 
um, you know, to hear that the, 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 the team has been great and stuff like that, like that's definitely not something to, to take for granted, number one, because that's not how a bunch of professional situations are, you know what I'm saying? Um, but can you just speak on that whole process, like on just kind of like, you know, yeah, just, just from a professional standpoint, man, to dealing with the injury now because you got other stuff to worry about on the back end, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I've heard that. Obviously, I've heard that other places are crazy like that. Um, right away, the organization – Called me, obviously they're like, we're hurt. Like we're hurt for you. My head coach came to my room to tell me the news. So I was like, all right, it's obviously a family environment. Um, they're like, yo King, whatever you need, let us know. If you want to go home, that makes you more comfortable. We'll fly you home. We'll pay for the surgery there. We'll pay for your rehab. If you want to have surgery here, go home for rehab. We'll take care of it. They, there's no missed payments in Australia. Everybody, I told you, it's none of that janky stuff. Um, and like they've been great, bro. Like obviously, I joke all the time. Like yo, like we played yesterday. I'm like yo, I could play 12 minutes tonight. Give me, you know. Yeah. It's like the organization, bro. Like um, they never have tried to rush me to anything. They never try to make me make a decision. They're like, with the meniscus, bro. Like you need to try to repair it regardless, because you're gonna play this game for a long time, and we would never try to rush you back or never try to do something based on. If you sat out three more weeks compared to this operation to save you five years in your career, that's that's what you're doing. You're gonna do that regardless. Right. And obviously they're coming. They're like, obviously we know what you're capable of doing. We saw you kill in the preseason. We saw what you were about to do. Offer me again to come back next season already. And it's just kind of like, you know, it's open arms already. And like that's that's something that's been eye opening to me. So I mean, I don't know how it is in other places because my first rodeo, but yeah. there's a lot of worse places to be in Australia, especially, so. Oh, that's yeah. love, man. That's love, man. Shout out to the Illawarra Hawks, man. I hope I'm pronouncing the, the team name right, but shout out to those guys, man, for, you know, for being professional, you know what I'm saying? Because that's not to be taken for granted out here. Um, it's crazy that you got hurt the first game of the season against Sydney Kings, because I'm on Instagram looking through the NBL page, and, like, everybody's hyping up the rivalry between you guys and, and the Kings, and how that's a huge deal. You mentioned you guys are an hour away from Sydney. So how what was it like, man? Your first experience playing in that game. I know the crowd was probably crazy. Um, you know, I know obviously, like you know, you you had the injury, but outside of that, what was the environment like? The hype around the game and stuff like that. You know, playing in that game against the Kings, who obviously yeah, been the champs. Uh, for people who don't know, they won the NBL last season. So, you know, they're a big time team. Yeah, so they came down, uh, bro. Me and our other player, Tyler Harvey, one of the other imports, bro. I probably had the worst shooting night of my life. I know I, I ended the game like 11 and eight, but I was like, bro, five and 19, five and 20 on some outrageous. I'm like, oh, we had a chance to win. Our other import, he shot five of, or six of 21, the same, like we just couldn't hit. And like, bro, it's my first game. I'm thirsty just to see it go in. I, bro, when I tell you, you know, I'm picking up 94, they pass it and I get a steal at they charge circle. Bro, I'm so thirsty. I dribbled out to a three point line, shoot three. <laughs> I'm like, oh, come on, bro. So then, yeah, like, we lose that game, got a chance to win. So I'm, you know, I'm amped. I'm like, yo, if we got to worry about this team for championship, we are good. Like, we will win. Like, we've been beating teams in the preseason, beating teams in the blitz. And then the whole news came. Because in my mind, I'm like, the next game, I promise I'm going to have a good game. I told my coach, I promise I'm going to kill. News came, I'm injured, I'm out. But crazy thing is, we played them last night without me, uh, without uh, our other import. And then we had Tyler Harvey. 
played in Sydney, big arena. Uh, there was 12,000 people. Um, we're up two. We're up four. They come down, score a layup, foul us again. My teammate missed two free throws. They come down, go up, block. Two seconds left. They drop like a little screen to the corner on the backside. Buddy hit a contested three at the buzzer to win. Like, to win. I'm just heartbroken for the guys because it's like we played the game perfect. We played well. Tyler Harvey, who had the bad game with me the first game, went off for 35, playing well. So I'm just upset. Like, the, the rivalry is a big thing. Like, don't get me wrong. We've been losing games in the league. We're probably at the bottom. But the rivalry is so big, we go to play Sydney, who's number one in the league right now, and it's still 12,000 people there. Like, that just shows you how big the rivalry is, you know? And just like the environment in general, like there's some there's some good people in this league, bro. And they play hard. They pick up charge circle to charge circle. And like there's some there's some talented guys in Australia, bro. No facts. And speaking on that, you used to mention there's a bunch of talented guys in the NBL. Um, I'm mad that the team names escaped me right now, but they beat who was it the uh seven? They beat the Sixers. Who oh, was it? Thunder? Thirty Sixers. Thirty Sixers. Who they beat yeah. in the preseason? The, the Thunder, right? Uh, the Suns. Oh, the, yes, 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 yes. So, I mean, that shows you how crazy the talent is over there, man. But, like, just watching it, uh, like, what, what can you say about the talent over there in, in Australia, man? And, obviously, what was your reaction when you seen that? Like, when you seen them beat the Suns and then, like, damn, they're in our league? Like, what was, like, what was that like for you? Well, it's crazy because that was right after we played them in the Blitz in preseason. I didn't play that game. Hmm. Um. And we, we had a chance to beat them when they had everybody. So I'm like, okay. Like, that's why I knew we were going to be good before that. So they go play the Suns. I'm like, my 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 high school coach is texting me because obviously we're watching the game because he's like, yo, they're about – like, they the Suns won no parts. So they're, they're about to win. I'm like, yo, they about to win, bro. Like, <laughs> all the, the headlines here was like, Adelaide, best team ever, NBL, question mark, this and that. They'd be the NBA team. Randall and Frank's, why are they not in the NBA? Like, you know, people start hyping it up. Thanks. They come back, they play their first game, get blasted by 20. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, yo, that just go to show you, like the little pre, like the Suns, come on, bro, you put them in a real regular season game, you know it's going to happen, I think. Right. But they come here, they come here, and they play their first game and get blasted. So I'm like, yo, then they go on a little skirt, whatever. And they're losing games. Like, they're not who they're supposed to be. And I'm just like, that just go to show you, like, really what it is. I'm just like, yeah, when that happened, bro, I was just like, dang, they're going to get so much, like, publicity just for the win. Everybody, like, put the 36ers in the NBA. I'm like, bro, y'all, true. Like, come on now. But, like, that's the thing about the difference of here. Like, the NBL media, the Australian media, they don't ever, like, think about at home, right? They, Russell Westbrook, what he going through. Everybody attacking them. Yep. Here in the NBL, they don't do that. They don't attack nobody. So, mm. say for example, you you come here and they ask you, uh, yo, you are you a, a good wing? You might say, I think I'm one of the best in the world. They're going to take it and be like, oh, he thinks he's one of the best in the world. And then they're going to twist it and be like, he's one of the best in the world. So he thinks that he needs to be in the NBA with those other top guys. And they'll do that stuff. That's the only way that they can get the stuff jumping. Right, right. But they won't do that. Like you won't go cold and they'll be like, oh, man, you know, he don't belong in this league no more. After my whole career, I've been averaging a triple-double. Like, come on now. Come on, bro. 
And that's the difference. Like it's a, a lot of like, it's a lot of love compared to hate. Right. Hey yeah. man, can't, can't, can't get too mad with love over the hate, man. Um, it's kind of switching gears a little bit, man. Obviously we talked a bunch about just basketball uh, on the court stuff, but you know, one of the big things about the What's In Your Bad podcast is we want to be able to showcase uh, what athletes have going on behind the scenes. And uh, you have your own personal brand that you've been able to grow uh, with production over hype. And I see you, you wearing the merch right now. So if y'all watching this on YouTube, you know what I'm saying? Definitely tap in, you know what I'm saying? But talk to me about the brand, man. Like, obviously the name kind of speaks for itself, production over hype, but kind of, obviously I feel like that's very personal to your story, right? You being, being an underdog, you know, going undrafted, working your way up through high school and Montrose and things like that. Um, talk to me about the inspiration to start the brand, you know, why you wanted to, to, to start the brand. And then obviously, you know, the name, obviously it means something to you. So if you want to speak on that a little bit as well. Yeah. I mean, just back to, to college, right? Like you said, my junior year, I go, uh, all ACC, uh, I'm averaging 18 and seven in league play. Obviously the ACC is the best conference in the country. So in my mind, I'm thinking like, yo, should I test the water? Should I go in the draft? And the feedback I was getting was like, ah, you know, second round guy. I'm just like, that don't even make sense. I'm killing, I'm killing everybody that y'all have projected ahead of me. Like, make it make sense. We're winning. It's not like we're losing. So whatever, come back from my senior, all that stuff happened. And then I'm going to the pre-draft process and everybody's like, you know, second round guy again. You can make your way up. Everybody's questioning my foot injury I had. Go through pre-draft, kill it. In my whole life, I'm just like, you know, I've always been underrated and overlooked, undervalued. And then I'm just like, but when I get on the court like that, like rankings don't help you in between the lines, even in high school. Like you can be ranked ahead of somebody and you go get cooked. And that's just how it is. So that just, I took it and ran with it going into the NBA. Cause I'm like, all right, I killed these dudes in college and they're getting more hype and getting all this stuff. But like, we really know what it is when I'm going into the lines. So I just did that because like, it's not even like the athletic side, like in business and the, the work life, you put in more hours in this person, but they get a promotion over you. Like that don't even make sense, but it's just, you know, all about fighting adversity and getting through it. So, yeah, I mean, obviously we've done like the gym clothes and stuff because the athletic side, but now I think it's going to go a little bit, touch on fashion and things like that. Like a lot of the workplace places have reached out in terms of like, can we get shirts for the people in our office? So that's been dope. And then like getting some guys in it, like Terrence Mann, uh, Miles Powell, some of the other guys in the NBA or guys in general that like respect the brand, Ty Jerome, like they all live it too, to a degree, you know what I mean? So I think just talking to the world, like it's not even just athletes, like everybody in your life, like you've been underrated or undervalued and whatever it is. And that's just why I made it. Like can't really miss with that message to whoever you're talking to. Facts. And I mean, you mentioned like seeing guys like Terrence Mann and, and Miles Powell wearing your stuff. Um, you, I see you guys got NIL athletes now and stuff like that. Like, what has that been like for you, man, to see the brand grow from something you started kind of as a personal mantra to something that now like people are recognizing, you know, around the world? Yeah, I think it's dope, bro. Um, like just going through that process, um, obviously blessed to do it and then have the ability to do an NIL thing or to be able to like expand the message and get it out there, like just hiring a media team. I have that now. So to be able to go about the graphic designs the right way, the marketing and things like that, like it's just been pretty much not even out the garage, but you know what I mean? Like it's not really much calculated behind it at the beginning. So to see it grow and then actually put in my money into it now to try to get it to grow even more. 
think is going to be good. And that's what I'm excited about. Like, I obviously, it's a little, not hobby, but you know what I mean? Like, it's fun. Like, I get to design the own clothes that I wear. And I think that's cool. Thanks. So, like, what's the vision for the for the brand kind of going forward? Like, obviously, I feel like, you know, as athletes, we're always putting on our craft first, first and foremost, always. And I know it'll always stay that way. But it's kind of like now, given the injury, you kind of have a little bit more downtime where you can kind of maybe focus on it or, you know, put some more ideas into it. So, you know, for you, like, what's the vision for the company, for the brand? Like, if you could be like, all right, you know, five years from now, this is what, you know, I would want it to be looking like or, you know, just kind of some ideas that you have. Like, you know, how does that, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I think obviously like uh, the cool thing about where my mind is going is obviously there's so many shops and stores that are opened up like vintage styles, resale styles. So like obviously it's not a designer brand, but maybe a pop-up shop there, or put it there. And then like I want to do like uh, visits to high schools or not maybe even college level and just talk about the message and then do things like that. Obviously like turn it into a charity to give donations, uh, like my next thing on my mind is when I get home, do like a like a like a back to school thing over the summer, Christmas stuff, handing out stuff to the homeless people and just do it under the brand. Just like not even to get the name out, but just kinda it just tells who I am. Like I'm a loving person. I want everybody to win. And then with that, just handing out stuff and give I give the shirt off my back. And that's why really the apparel stuff is cool to me. For sure, for sure, man. That's that's dope, man. So Shoot, man, if y'all listening to this, man, make sure y'all tapping into production over hype, you know what I'm saying? Tap into the gear, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, give them a follow. We're definitely going to be tapped in to see where that goes, man. Um, but kind of on that same level, man, uh, we're going to get into our match and mismatch segment. And this is kind of a, a fashion segment that kind of started. Um, and uh, for, for the match segment, right, just a couple questions about, you know, some fashion stuff. Number one. Obviously, you're in Australia now. I'm not really sure, you know, what, what the fashion is like out there. If they got some steppers out there in Australia, man. But uh, is there any fashion trends in Australia that you've seen or the way people dress that's maybe different or something that you like? You're like, all right, that's, that's, that's a little swaggy. Like, you know, what's it been like out there for you so far from a fashion standpoint or kind of some trends that you might, that, that you like? Or if there isn't any, that we can, we can speak on that as well. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I wouldn't say they're ahead of the U.S., but a lot of the stuff that, is coming back in the U.S. or a lot of the stuff that people are getting into, like they're wearing here in Australia. I wouldn't even say it's, you know, like they're they're fashionable, but like it's just their everyday wear. But we're like, oh, that's fashion, and like people here, you know, wear it out. They do the little bag on the shoulder, chill, walk around, yep. uh, wearing a, a sweater with the collar under, with the short shorts, little high sock, a little bit scrunched up. Uh, I'm gonna take that for sure. That's gonna be a tunnel pick for sure. I do got that one. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's cool to see like the difference. Like, obviously, it's not like you know, you go to Europe and you see that fashion. Like, they're I think they're ahead because that's what we try to copy now at home. But they do got a little bit over here, bro. Like, but it's so Americanized here, so mm -hmm. see nothing too extreme. Yep. So for the for the mismatch segment, uh. It don't got to be in Australia, just in the fashion scene in general. What's some a trend that you think got to go? You know what I'm saying? Something that's like, ah, it ain't really it, or I'm, I'm tired of seeing that. I don't even know if it got it. Like, how can I say this? What what can I say? Hmm. I think just because you just because you wear a designer don't mean that you got fashion. <laughs> you know I mean? Like, just because you spend a lot of money on clothes don't mean you know how to dress. Yeah. And that's just fact of the matter and then like 
What else? I I personally don't like the whole idea with like the the paint fingernails and all that. That's cool if you like that, go ahead. But like, I'm not knocking to do what you do. I just would never do. It. But I mean, a lot of people are starting to do it. So I don't know if that's like trying to. Um, I don't know. Like some people do. I I don't know if it's other mood or what. You know what I mean? I don't know. But I mean, bro, I one of my teammates out here in Japan came in with their to practice with the picking up fans every day. I'm like, yo, this is really getting out there, bro. Cause it's a bunch of players like in the league that do it now. I'm like, yo, like people really doing the and I'm talking about all 10, not just like a couple. Like, I'm like, yo, that's crazy. But I, I do think because a lot of people in the league, bro, big change. Like they we live like rock stars, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what the rock stars do. They wear, you know, they wear the little chain jeans and paint their nails like Bro, you look at Jalen Green, bro. He is a rock star, bro. Thanks. And he lives like it. I mean, I respect it. You you earned it. Live how you want to live. But yeah. Nah, yo, that's yo, it's funny, bro. We've uh bro, we had three people <laughs> that said the same thing. So my boy Hamadou Diallo, we had him on for episode three. And uh he was like, Man, I hate when people uh dress. He said, yo, he called it the the mannequin challenge. <laughs> People be doing the whole designer fit. He said, yo, man, we call it the mannequin child. People try to dress like mannequins with the Gucci, Dior, whatever the case may be. We asked Terrence Mann the same thing last week. And he was like, yeah, bro, like that designer trying to throw on all the designer is not fashion for real. So it's funny, man, that like I feel like you're the third person to come on this podcast and say that. You know what I'm saying? Like that the designer joke. Don't get me wrong, bro. Like. So I, I've gotten to the idea, like, I like waking up in the morning and picking out my outfits. Like, I like making my own stuff. So there was a question that I got asked, like, yo, if you have a stylist, is that really you having swag or is that them having swag? Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, that's a good question. But then also I'm thinking, like, in the NBA, it is hard to pack or have, like, you think in your mind 82 games. That's a lot of outfits. So, I mean, it does make sense, but at the same time, like, even when I was in, I'm like, I want to make my own stuff because, you know, I feel like I like fashion. I like doing whatever I want to do. I like waking up like, damn, I just put that together like that. And I don't look good, but I mean, I get it, but I don't, bro. It's bro, hard. Like, I that's, that's crazy you brought that up, bro. So I asked, I asked Terrence Mann the same thing because he has a stylist a stylist and I was asking like yo like what's your take on the whole stylist like not stylist like what's the bad he was like man yo look I'm a business you feel me like I'm trying to like I'm 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 working with brands or whatever and like obviously your, your stylist is obviously putting no input but you still have a say in your fit you know what I'm saying so for you like would you ever have a stylist do you think it's kind of like not for you would you ever kind of consider it like because I was I went to a bunch of interviews man I'm I'm listening to, to D Wade and Melo they're talking about their stylist that they've had throughout their career. So I'm like, damn, because I was, I'm not gonna lie, I was once that person, I'll post a flick on the gram, but yeah, no stylist. Like, I styled it myself. You feel me? But then I'm like, damn, D Wade had a stylist. Is it like, you feel me? I don't know. Is it a bad thing? Like, where do you kind of stand on that, on that whole thing? I don't think it's a bad thing. Like, I've uh, had people that I've had source stuff for me, go pay, like, buy it, pick it up for me. Um, who Terrence is actually with before her and Terrence blew up, we were all in a conversation together about, you know, getting in the trend, the, the stylist and all that. And I just, I didn't go through with it. And then boom, Terrence and Mary, they blow up. My boy Jewel set that up and then bam, like, cool. I'm like, I'm happy for you, bro. You know what I mean? Thanks. But then people like hit me up all the time. Like, yo, like, can I be a stylist? Let me style you. I'm just like, 
I'm not at that realm right now where I do want to have a stylist. Like I just, like I said, I like waking up and putting my stuff together. Okay. So but I mean, I don't knock nobody with a stylist. You know what I mean? Like it could, like, it's not even like they're trying to flex, but at the end of the day, you could see it from the outside looking in, like as a flex. You know what I mean? Like, dang, he got a stylist, bro. But <laughs> that's, that's the players that's doing it, they don't look at it that way. They're just, it's right. easier for them to know about it. Right. For sure. So like I, I wouldn't to answer the question, I wouldn't be against it. That that okay. all right. So not now. Maybe, maybe, maybe later on if it if it, you know, if it dawns on you. I got you. I got you. So how would you describe your personal sense of style? Like how would you describe, you know, the way you dress, you know, you're throwing your fits together. How would you describe that? It all depends. I wouldn't even say like trendy, but I do uh like I'm a, I'm I got a whole bunch of shoes. So when I just throw stuff together, it is like I see stuff on the internet and I'll be like, you know, I want those pants. I buy them. And then when they come in, I'm like, I just look in my closet and be like, all right, well, I match with that. And I wear it. Yep. And like, don't get me wrong. I, I got a wide variety, not wide, but enough variety and style to, you know, I'm going to dress up this day. I can wear a suit and tie or I can put on some street fashion or I can go put on some plaid pants with a designer shirt and, you know, style it that way. It's like just my mind when it races of what I want to put together is cool. Like, don't get me wrong, I don't like talking to myself. It's not gonna be like, yo, I'm I'm swaggy, but I mean you can go check the IG. Do let me know, you know. What I mean? Okay, I heard you, heard you, heard you. So I mean you mentioned it kind of a little bit earlier. Like, I feel like even just watching it, bro, like it's crazy just watching League Fish. Like the NBA, you know, has become a literal like fashion runway, bro. Dude just putting on fish as if they in, you know, fashion week in Paris or Milan or whatever. And it's like a legitimate thing. Like, so for you, when you when you was when you was in the league, like did you feel that pressure like the one fits coming through the tunnel. Like, was you watching your teammates? You feel me? Like, hey, he putting it on. I got those something together. Or, like, what was that like? <laughs> For sure, I'm known because it's like, don't get me wrong. The the bad thing about the league is some people don't know how to stay in their financial lane. Like, stay in your lane. <laughs> don't we'll compete with this dude up here if you're right. Like, don't do that. Yeah. So like, don't get me wrong. You know, my rookie year, I'm with John. He come in with the AP on chain. You know, I'm like, hey, five. You know, let me borrow that, bro. And he's like, you know, hey, let me borrow that. He bought that for a night. He's like, yeah, I got your rookie. That's my vet. Who never did it, but just to like mess around like that. Like, bro, I ain't my rookie. I ain't gonna buy no AP. Like, come on now. But right. it's not pressure. But you do want to have something on. Like some people just go in janky. But don't get me wrong. The whole fashion statement stuff is like. I feel like once you're established as a fashion person in the NBA, you can wear something and they're gonna hype it. But if it's somebody else that's when they're gonna be like, yo, what is what is he wearing, bro? <laughs> you've seen it. I ain't gonna name drop, but you've seen it, bro. You say I ain't name drop, but you've seen it for sure. Damn, <laughs> bro. Nah, facts, bro. I also think when it comes to the league too, it depends on where you're at. Cause like, let's say you play for the Lakers or the Clippers, right? You went LA. I thought there's a lot more flexibility with what you can wear because it's L.A. So even if it's outlandish and crazy, it's like, all right, well, that's kind of how they do it in L.A. But if you were to wear that same fit in Philly for D.C., they'd be like, what is you wearing, bro? The comments going to be like, we don't do that in D.C. and we ain't wearing that in Philly. Like, they on your head for real. It's not – you don't got as much of a path in what you put on. Yeah, see, that's why the tricky part is when if you ever look at how the style goes, obviously – city to city, it changed for those players. Cause it's like, all right, I'm in Miami. Let me go put on something floral and swag it out. Or 
shoot, now I'm in Milwaukee, it's cold, I got to bring out a fire Montclair puffer or something, you know what I mean? Like, it do go based on location. It's like based on the vibe of that city. Because you go to New York, you know you got to put something on. Because you're walking off the bus, going to the bus and to the game, you know it's going to be cameras there. Right. Well, like, especially when I was in Milwaukee, we win it. So it's always going to be cameras around. They always going to want to film Giannis. They always want to take pictures of Giannis. And, bro, like, the relationships you build through all that stuff is cool. Though. I ain't going to lie to you. It's, it's dope. What's been some of the dopest moments or kind of experiences just from, from all that? Yeah, I mean, college, I get injured. IT reaches out to me, you know, slow grind. I'm, bro, I'm watching his documentaries while injured all the time. He's supposed to get paid. Boom. You know, stuff happened. My rookie year, that's my vet. I'm like, yo, it's crazy, full circle. We became close, still talk to this day. I got here to Australia, text me. Hey, killer, do what you got to do. I'm like, okay, that's our relationship. Also, my rookie year, my vet was John Wall. Boom. Like, you know, you from D.C., you watching John Wall coming to the Dougie. Boom. Cool relationship. Me and Brad, cool to this day. Every time we play, if you watch the cameras after the game, we're always talking. Then I go to OKC. I play with Shea and Ty, who I played in college, and Shea is Nikhil's cousin, who I played with on my team. Those relationships, cool. Boom. Get to Milwaukee and making a relationship with those dudes. They just won a championship. You learn from Chris, Drew, Giannis on the go all the time. Then you learn from vets like George Hill. And they're just trying to teach you the ropes of how to stay in. So, like, just to be able to, like, I'm in summer league in Vegas and walking through, and all the people that stopped me or all the people I know, me and my mom got back, and she's like, Yo, I don't think you understand how many people you really know and, like, how many people you have respect for. And at the point, like, as a hooper, if you get the respect from the real, you know what it is, you know what I mean? So that's really what I'm I'm happy about. Like, you know, I if I see Giannis after the game, we're going to set us up. And like, we built that relationship. So that's just what it is. I text Drew, text whoever from the Bucks from last year. Then crazy thing, all full circle. Again, I go to Detroit, three Mac guys with the school that St. James in the conference. Me, Luca Garza, and Sadiq Bey, all on the court at the same time, playing on the same team. We played each other going, growing up in high school, just like that, DMV. And then, you know, they got Troy Reeve right there. Yep. DMV guys all in one area. Jeremy Grant, uh, DeMarco Picky, everybody, bro. Rodney Magruder. It's just like a whole DMV affair in Detroit. <laughs> we like, yo, like, this is – like, we never really thought about it like that. But me, Sadiq, and Luca, we all talk about, like, dang, bro. Remember when we played each other, like, Obviously, Sadiq was younger. I'm like, yo, it's your ninth grade year, and I'm busting you. Then Luca, same thing. Like, Luca killed us his freshman year. I'm like, bro, who is this big, like, slow-footed dude, bro? <laughs> we all play the same team together. I'm like, it's crazy how the world works. Man, that's crazy, man. And I literally feel like we could we, we could chop it up all day, man. But I think that's a perfect, a perfect way to leave it off, man. Just um talking about obviously just the full circle moment, you know what I'm saying? Coming from the DMV, um, you know, making it to that that level, man. And I think it's just a testament to number one, um, just the area that we come from, man, and the the, the talent and and the the, the level of, of hoopers, man, that uh are able to play at the highest level. You know what I'm saying? And it's definitely been a, a pleasure just to be able to follow your career, bro. You know what I'm saying, and see where you've been able to take it uh from our area. You know what I'm saying? I know you like I said, you just getting started with it, so you know, we'll obviously be continuing to, to to chop it up and 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 uh you know follow your career and your journey, man. This has been 
a dope experience, man. Definitely keep doing what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? And uh, last question that I got to ask you, you know what I'm saying? We always, we always do this, you know, on the podcast, you know, I, I took this from, from the guys over at all the smoke. Um, who is one person that you would like to see us have uh, on the what's in your bad podcast and whoever you say, you got to help us get them on, you know what I'm saying? So it could be a hooper. It could be a person outside of basketball, whether they're, you know, somebody in the fashion and stylist industry, somebody who you think is doing dope stuff, man, that you think could provide some dope insight to, to the audience, man. And, uh, you know, who, who would that person be? Um, let me think. Give me a second. Um, yeah, I kind of want to go to, like, the business side of stuff. Probably uh, Julian Aiken, uh, Bryce Aiken's older brother. Um, that's who I was talking about, Jules, that had the whole thing set up with uh, Mary and Terrence and then worked for the boardroom and all that stuff. So he has his life on track. He he gets it, bro. Like, uh, he used to hoop in college, and now he's, like, in that business land. Like, he, he has his life have his life going right now. That's dope. And the crazy thing is, bro, I've, I've come across his page a couple of times, people tagging him and stuff. I'm like, damn, who is this? Like, so I, I definitely seen him. He got some motion for sure. So now we definitely, I'm definitely going to tap in with you after this and we can get that set up. If you could pass along contact or anything like that so we can get him on here. I think that would be a dope, a dope conversation for sure. You know what I'm saying? Um, but nah, man, like I said, definitely just want to wish you the best of luck, man, on your recovery with the meniscus. Um, like I said, I know you're going to, you know, c- come back, you know, killing, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, and again, thank you for your time, man. This has been a dope conversation. And uh, once you once you get back healthy, man, we gotta do this again sometime, man, and just see how, you know, what what the next full circle moment will be, you know, coming coming for your career, man. So definitely proud of you speaking for everybody from back home, man. And um, like I said, can't wait to see where you take it next. And our blessings, bro. Appreciate you having me. Always, always love, bro. No doubt, no doubt, man. And uh, for all you guys listening, this has been another episode of the What's in Your Bag podcast presented by Bet Online. Make sure you guys are liking this podcast, subscribing to this podcast, giving us a five star rating, man. Cause we dropping gems on this podcast, man. So as y'all can see, y'all y'all don't want to miss what we're talking about. So make sure you definitely uh, tapping in. This is gonna be put up Tay on the outro. Make sure y'all streaming his music. He's one of the hottest artists out of DMV, man. And uh, that's all, folks. Until next time, peace. This has been another episode of the What's in Your Bag podcast presented by Bet Online. Been a man, you gotta brag now. And you ain't never been the type to finish last now. You made it to the NBA from a class clown. It's crazy how this shit changed. You and your bag now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.